Bible in a Year, week two, day eight, beginning at Job 19, verse 1, going to Job 23, verse 17. Then Job answered, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? You have humiliated me ten times now, and you mistreat me without shame. Even if it is true that I have sinned, my mistake concerns only me. If you really want to appear superior to me and would use my disgrace as evidence against me, then understand that it is God who has wronged me and caught me in his net. I cry out violence, but get no response. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has blocked my way that so I cannot pass through. He has veiled my paths with darkness. He has stripped me of my honour and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side so that I am ruined. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me and he regards me as one of his enemies. His troops advance together. They construct a ramp against me and camp around my tent. He has removed my brothers from me. My acquaintances have abandoned me. My relatives stopped coming by and my close friends have forgotten me. My house guests and female servants regard me as a stranger. I am a foreigner in their sight. I call for my servant, but he does not answer, even if I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife, and my own family find me repulsive. Even young boys scorn me. When I stand up, they mock me. All of my best friends despise me, and those I love have turned against me. My skin and my flesh cling to my bones. I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me, my friends. Have mercy, for God's hand has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? I wish that my words were written down, that they were recorded on a scroll, or were inscribed in stone forever by an iron stylus and lead. But I know my living Redeemer, and he will stand in the dust at last. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him and not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. If you say, how will we pursue him, since the root of the problem lies with him? Be afraid of the sword, because wrath brings punishment by the sword, so that you may know there is a judgment. Then Zophar the Namathite replied, This is why my unsettling thoughts compel me to answer, because I am upset. I have heard a rebuke that insults me, and my understanding makes me reply. Don't you know that ever since antiquity, from the time man was placed on earth, the joy of the wicked has been brief, and the happiness of the godless has lasted only a moment. Though his arrogance reaches heaven and his head touches the clouds, he will vanish forever like his own dung. Those who know him will ask, where is he? He will fly away like a dream and never be found. He will be chased away like a vision in the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, and his household will no longer see him. His children will beg from the poor, for his own hands have given them back his wealth. His bones will be full of youthful vigour, but it will lie down with him in the grave. Though evil tastes sweet in his mouth and he concealed it under his tongue, though he cherishes it and will not let it go, but keeps it in his mouth, yet in the food in his stomach turns into cobra's venom inside him. He swallows wealth but must vomit it up. God will force it from his stomach. He will suck the poison of cobras. A viper's fang will kill him. He will not enjoy the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and cream. He must return the fruit of his labour without consuming it. He doesn't enjoy the profits from his trading. For he oppressed and abandoned the poor. He seized a house he did not build. Because his appetite is never satisfied, he does not escape his desires. 
Nothing is left for him to consume, therefore his prosperity will not last. At the height of his success, distress will come to him. The full weight of misery will crush him. When he fills his stomach, God will send his burning anger against him, raining it down on him while he is eating. If he flees from an iron weapon, an arrow from a bronze bow will pierce him. He pulls it out of his back, the flashing tip out of his liver. Terrors come over him. Total darkness is reserved for his treasures. A fire unfanned by human hands will consume him. It will feed on what is left in his tent. The heavens will expose his iniquity and the earth will rise up against him. The possessions in his house will be removed, flying away on the day of God's anger. This is the wicked man's lot from God, the inheritance God ordained for him. Then Job answered, Pay close attention to my words. Let this be the consolation you offer. Bear with me while I speak. Then after I have spoken, you may continue mocking. As for me, is my complaint against man. Then why shouldn't I be impatient? Look at me and shudder. Put your hand over your mouth. When I think about it, I am terrified and my body trembles in horror. Why do the wicked continue to live, growing old and becoming powerful? Their children are established while they are still alive and their descendants before their eyes. Their homes are secure and free of fear. No rod from God strikes them. Their bulls breed without fail. their cows calve and do not miscarry. They let their little ones run around like lambs, their children skip about, singing to the tambourine and lyre and rejoicing at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity and go down to Sheol in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We don't want to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what will we gain by pleading with him? But their prosperity is not their own doing. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? Does disaster come on them? Does he apportion destruction in his anger? Are they like straw before the wind, like chaff a storm sweeps away? God reserves a person's judgment for his children. Let God repay the person himself so that he may know it. Let his own eyes see his demise. Let him drink from the Almighty's wrath. For what does he care about his family once he is dead, when the number of his months has run out? Can anyone teach God knowledge since he judges the exalted ones? One person dies in excellent health, completely secure and at ease. His body is well fed and his bones are full of marrow. Yet another person dies with a bitter soul, having never tasted prosperity. But they both lie in the dust and worms cover them. Look, I know your thoughts, the schemes you would wrong me with. For you say, where now is the nobleman's house? And where are the tents the wicked lived in? Have you never consulted those who travel the roads? Don't you accept their reports? Indeed, the evil man is spared from the day of disaster, rescued from the day of wrath. Who would denounce his behaviour to his face? Who would repay him for what he has done? He is carried to the grave and someone keeps watch over his tomb. The dirt in his grave is sweet to him. Everyone follows behind him and those who go before him are without number. So how can you offer me such futile comfort? Your words are deceptive. Then Lephaz the Temanite replied, Can a man be of any use to God? Can even a wise man be of use to him? Does it delight the Almighty if you are righteous? Does he profit if you perfect your behaviour? Does he correct you and take you to court because of your piety? 
Isn't your wickedness abundant, and aren't your iniquities endless? For you took collateral from your brothers without cause, stripping off their clothes and leaving them naked. You gave no water to the thirsty and withheld food from the famished, while the land belonged to a powerful man and an influential man lived in it. You sent widows away empty-handed, and the strength of the fatherless was crushed. Therefore snares surround you, and sudden dread terrifies you, or darkness so you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Isn't God as high as the heavens? And look at the highest stars, how lofty they are. Yet you say, what does God know? Can he judge through thick darkness? Clouds veil him so that he cannot see as he walks on the circle of the sky. Will you continue in the ancient path that wicked men have walked? They were snatched away before their time when their foundations were washed away by a river. They were the ones who said to God, leave us alone. And what can the Almighty do to us? But it was he who filled their houses with good things. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see this and rejoice. The innocent mock them and saying, Surely our opponents are destroyed and fire has consumed what they left behind. Come to terms with God and be at peace. In this way good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and place his sayings in your heart. If you return to the Almighty you will be renewed. If you banish injustice from your tent and consign your gold to the dust, the gold of Ophir to the stones in the wadis, the Almighty will be your gold and your finest silver. Then you will delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will pray to him and he will hear you, and you will fulfil your vows. When you make a decision it will be carried out and light will shine on your ways. When others are humiliated and you say lift them up, God will save the humble. He will even rescue the guilty one who will be rescued by the purity of your hands. Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. My head is heavy despite my groaning. If only I knew how to find him so that I could go to his throne. I would plead my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn how he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he prosecute me forcefully? No, he will certainly pay attention to me. There an upright man could reason with him and I would escape from my judge forever. If I go east he is not there, if I go west I cannot perceive him. When he is at work to the north I cannot see him, when he turns south I cannot find him, yet he knows the way I have taken. When he has tested me I will emerge as pure gold. My feet have followed in his tracks, I have kept to his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips." I have treasured the words of his mouth more than daily food, but he is unchangeable. Who can oppose him? He does what he desires. He will certainly accomplish what he has decreed for me, and he has many more things like these in mind. Therefore I am terrified in his presence. When I consider this, I am afraid of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not destroyed by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. The end of day eight. Day nine, Job 24, verse 1 to 30, verse 31. The conversation continues, and Job continues to say, Why does the Almighty not reserve times for judgment? Why do those who know him never see his days? The wicked displace boundary markers, they steal a flock and provide pasture for it. 
They drive away the donkeys owned by the fatherless and take the widow's ox as collateral. They push the needy off the road. The poor of the land are forced into hiding. Like wild donkeys in the desert, the poor go out to their task for foraging for food. The wilderness provides nourishment for their children. They gather their fodder in the field and glean the vineyards of the wicked. Without clothing, they spend the night naked, having no covering against the cold. Drenched by mountain rains, they huddle against the rocks, shelterless. The fatherless infant is snatched from the breast. The nursing child of the poor is seized as collateral. Without clothing, they wander about naked. They carry sheaves, but go hungry. They crush olives in their presses. They tread the wine presses, but go thirsty. From the city men groan, the mortally wounded cry for help, yet God pays no attention to this crime. The wicked are those who rebel against the light. They do not recognise its ways or stay on its paths. The murderer rises at dawn to kill the poor and needy, and by night he becomes a thief. The adulterer's eye watches for twilight twinkling, no eye will see me. He covers his face. In the dark they break into houses, by day they lock themselves in never experiencing the light. For the morning is like death's shadow to them. Surely they are familiar with the terrors of death's shadow. They float on the surface of the water. Their section of the land is cursed so that they never go to their vineyards. At dry ground and heat snatch away the melted snow. So Sheol steals those who have sinned. The womb forgets them. Worms feed on them. They are remembered no more. So injustice is broken like a tree. They prey on the barren, childless woman, and do not deal kindly with the widow. Yet God drags away the mighty by his power. When he rises up, they have no assurance of life. He gives them a sense of security so that they can rely on it. But his eyes watch over their ways. They are exalted for a moment, then they are gone. They are brought low and shrivel up like everything else. They wither like heads of grain. If this is not true, then who can prove me a liar and show that my speech is worthless? Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, Dominion and dread belong to him, the one who establishes harmony in the heavens. Can his troops be numbered? Does his light not shine on everyone? How can a person be justified before God? How can one born of a woman be pure? If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, How much less man who is a maggot, and the son of man who is a worm? Then Job answered, How you have helped the powerless and delivered the arm that is weak. How you have counselled the unwise and thoroughly explained the path of success. Who do you speak these words to? Whose breath came out of your mouth? The departed spirits tremble beneath the waters and all that inhabit them. Sheol is naked before God and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the northern skies over empty space. He hangs the earth in nothing. He enfolds the waters in its clouds, yet the clouds do not burst beneath their weight. He obscures the view of his throne, spreading his cloud over it. He laid out the horizon on the surface of the waters, at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars that hold up the sky tremble, astounded at his rebuke. By his power he stirred the sea, and his understanding he crushed Rahab. By his breath the heavens gained their beauty, his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. These are but the fringes of his ways. How faint is the word we hear of him. 
Who can understand his mighty thunder? Job continued his discourse saying, As God lives who has deprived me of justice, and the Almighty who has made me bitter, as long as my breath is still in me and the breath from God remains in my nostrils, my lips will not speak unjustly, and my tongue will not utter deceit. I will never affirm that you are right. I will maintain my integrity until I die. I will cling to my righteousness and never let it go. My conscience will not accuse me as long as I live. May my enemy be like the wicked and my opponent like the unjust. For what hope does the godless man have when he is cut off, when God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when his distress comes on him? Will he delight in the Almighty? Will he call on God at all times? I will teach you about God's power. I will not conceal what the Almighty has planned. All of you have seen this for yourselves. Why do you keep up this empty tog? This is a wicked man's lot from God, the inheritance the ruthless receive from the Almighty. Even if his children increase, they are destined for the sword. His descendants will never have enough food. Those who survive him will be buried by the plague, yet their widows will not weep for them. Though he piles up silver like dust and heaps up a wardrobe like clay, he may heap it up, but the righteous will wear it, and the innocent will divide up the silver. The house he built is like a moth's cocoon or a booth set up by a watchman. He lies down wealthy, but will do so no more. When he opens his eyes, it is gone. Terror overtakes him like a flood. A storm wind sweeps him away at night. An east wind picks him up and he is gone. It carries him away from his place. It blasts at him without mercy while he flees desperately from its grasp. It claps its hand at him and scorns him from its place. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the ground and copper is smelted from ore. A miner puts an end to the darkness. He probes the deepest recesses for ore in the gloomy darkness. He cuts a shaft far from human habitation in places unknown to those who walk above ground. Suspended far away from the people, the miners swing back and forth. Food may come from the earth, but below the surface the earth is transformed as by fire. Its rocks are a source of sapphire containing flecks of gold. No bird of prey knows that path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts have never walked in it. No lion has ever prowled over it. The miner strikes the flint and transforms the mountains at their foundation. He cuts out channels in the rock and his eyes spot every treasure. He dams up the streams from flowing so that he may bring light to what is hidden. But where can wisdom be found? And where is understanding located? No man can know its value since it cannot be found in the land of the living. The ocean depths say it's not in me, while the sea declares I don't have it. Gold cannot be exchanged for it, and silver cannot be weighed out for its price. Wisdom cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass do not compare with it, and articles of fine gold cannot be exchanged for it. Coral and quartz are not worth mentioning. The price of wisdom is beyond pearls. Topaz from Cush cannot compare with it, and it cannot be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from, and where is understanding located? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing and concealed from the birds of the sky. 
Abaddon and Death say, We have heard news of it with our ears. But God understands the way of wisdom, and he knows its location, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind and limited the water by measure, when he established a limit for the rain and a path for the lightning, he considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. He said to mankind, Look, the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to turn from evil is understanding. Job continued his discourse, saying, If only I could be as in the months gone by, in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone above my head and I walked through darkness by his light. I would be as I was in the days of my youth, when God's friendship rested on my tent, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my feet were bathed in cream and the rock poured out streams of oil for me, when I went out to the city gate and took my seat in the town square, the young men saw me and withdrew while older men stood to their feet. City officials stopped talking and covered their mouths with their hands. The noblemen's voices were hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. When they heard me, they blessed me. And when they saw me, they spoke well of me. For I rescued the poor man who cried out for help and the fatherless child who had no one to support him. The dying man blessed me, and I made the widow's heart rejoice. I clothed myself in righteousness, and it enveloped me. My just decisions were like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I examined the case of the stranger. I shattered the fangs of the unjust and snatched the prey from his teeth. So I thought, I will die in my own nest and multiply my days as the sand. My roots will have access to water and the dew will rest on my branches all night. My strength will be refreshed within me and my bow will be renewed in my hand. Men listened to me with expectation, waiting silently for my advice. After a word from me, they did not speak again. My speech settled on them like dew. They waited for me as for the rain and opened their mouths as for spring showers. If I smiled at them, they couldn't believe it. They were thrilled at the light of my countenance. I directed their course and presided as chief. I lived as a king among his troops like no one who comforts those who mourn. But now they mock me, young, young men younger than I am, whose fathers I would have refused to put with my sheepdogs. What used to me was the strength of their hands. Their vigour had left them. Emaciated from poverty and hunger, they gnawed the dry land, the desolate wasteland by night. They plucked mallow among the shrubs and the roots of the broom tree were their food. They were expelled from human society. People shouted at them as if they were thieves. They were living on the slopes of the wadis, among the rocks and in holes in the ground. They bray among the shrubs, they huddle beneath the thistles. Foolish men without even a name. They were forced to leave the land. Now I am mocked by their songs. I have become an object of scorn to them. They despise me and keep their distance from me. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. Because God has loosened my bowstring and oppressed me, they have cast off restraint in my presence. The rabble rise up at my right. They trap my feet and construct their siege ramp against me. They tear up my path. They contribute to my destruction without anyone to help them. They advance us through a gaping breach. They keep rolling in through the ruins. 
terrors are turned loose against me, they chase my dignity away like the wind, and my prosperity has passed by like a cloud. Now my life is poured out before my eyes, and days of suffering have seized me. Night pierces my bones, and my gnawing pains never abate. My clothing is distorted with great force. He chokes me by the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. When I stand up, you merely look at me. You have turned against me with cruelty. You harass me with your strong hand. You lift me up in the wind and make me ride it. You scatter me in the storm. Yes, I know that you will lead me to death, the place appointed for all who live. Yet no one would stretch out his hand against a ruined man when he cries out to him for help because of his distress. How I not wept for those who have fallen on hard times. Has my soul not grieved for the needy? But when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, darkness came. I am churning within and cannot rest. Days of suffering confront me. I walk about blackened, but not by the sun. I stood in the assembly and cried out for help. I have become a brother to jackals and a companion of ostriches. My skin blackens and flakes off and my bones burn with fever. My lyre is used for mourning and my flute for the sound of weeping. End of day nine. Day 10, Job 31, verse 1 through to 36, verse 33. Job declared his, his uprightness, integrity and mercy. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I look at a young woman? For what portion would I have from God above or what inheritance from the Almighty on high? Doesn't disaster come to the wicked and misfortune to evildoers? Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? If I have walked in falsehood or my foot has rushed to deceit, let God weigh me with an accurate balance, and he will recognise my integrity. If my step has turned from the way, my heart has followed my eyes, or impurity has stained my hands, let someone else eat what I have sown and let my crops be uprooted. If my heart has been seduced by my neighbour's wife or I have lurked at his door, let my own wife grind grain for another man, and let other men sleep with her. For that would be a disgrace, it would be a crime-deserving punishment. For it is a fire that consumes down to Abaddon, it would destroy my entire harvest. If I have dismissed the case of my male or female servants when they have made a complaint against me, what could I do when God stands up to judge? How should I answer him when he calls me to account? Did not the one who made me in the womb also make them? Did not the same God form us both in the womb? If I have refused the wishes of the poor or let the widow's eyes go blind, if I have eaten my few crumbs alone without letting the fatherless eat any of it, for from my youth I raised him as his father, and since the day I was born I guided the widow, if I have seen anyone dying for lack of clothing or a needy person without a cloak, if he did not bless me while warming himself with the fleece from my sheep, if I ever cast my vote against a fatherless child when I saw that I had support in the city gate, then let my shoulder blade fall from my back, and my arm be pulled from its socket. For disaster from God terrifies me, and because of his majesty I could not do these things. If I place my confidence in gold, or called fine gold my trust, if I have rejoiced because my wealth is great, or because my own hand has acquired so much, 
if I have gazed at the sun when it was shining or the moon moving in splendour, so that my heart was secretly enticed and I threw them a kiss, this would also be a crime-deserving punishment, for I would have denied God above. Have I rejoiced over my enemy's distress or become excited when trouble came his way? I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life with a curse. Haven't the members of my household said, Who is there who has not had enough to eat at Job's table? No stranger had to spend the night on the street, for I opened my door to the traveller. Have I covered my transgressions as other do, by hiding my guilt in my heart? Because I greatly feared the crowds and the contempt of the clan terrified me, so I grew silent and would not go outside. If only I had someone to hear my case. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my opponent compose in his, his indictment. I would surely carry it over my shoulder and wear it like a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. I would approach him like a prince. If my land cries out against me and its furrows join in weeping, if I have consumed its produce without payment or shown contempt for its tenants, then let thorns grow instead of wheat and stink wheat instead of barley. The words of Job are concluded. So these three men quit answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu, son of Barachel, the Buzite from the family of Ram, became angry. He was angry at Job because he had justified himself rather than God. He was also angry at Job's three friends because they had failed to refute him and yet had condemned him. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were all older than he. But when he saw that the three men could not answer Job, he became angry. So Elihu, son of Barachel, the Buzite, replied, I am young in years while you are old, therefore I was timid and afraid to tell you what I know. I thought that age should speak and maturity should teach wisdom, but it is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty that gives him understanding. It is not only the old who are wise or the elderly who understand how to judge. Therefore I say, listen to me, I too will declare what I know. Look, I waited for your conclusions. I listened to your insights as you sought for words. I paid close attention to you, yet no one proved Job wrong. Not one of you refuted his arguments. So do not claim we have found wisdom. Let God deal with him, not man. But Job has not directed his argument to me, and I will not respond to him with your arguments. Job's friends are dismayed and can no longer answer. Words have left them. Should I continue to wait now that they are silent? Now that they stand there and no longer answer? I too will answer. Yes, I will tell what I know. For I am full of words and my spirit compels me to speak. My heart is like unvented wine. It is about to burst like new wineskins. I must speak so that I can find relief. I must open my lips and respond. I will be partial to no one and I will not give anyone an undeserved title. For I do not know how to give such titles. Otherwise my maker would remove me in an instant. But now Job, pay attention to my speech and listen to all my words. I am going to open my mouth. My tongue will form words in my palate. My words come from an upright heart. My lips speak what they know with sincerity. The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Refute me if you can. Prepare your case against me. Take your stand. I am just like you before God. I was also pinched off from a piece of clay. Fear of me should not terrify you. The pressure I exert against you will be light. Surely you have spoken in my hearing and I have heard these very words. 
I am pure without transgression. I am clean and have no guilt. But he finds reason to oppose me. He regards me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He stands watch over all my paths. But I tell you that you are wrong in this matter. Since God is greater than man, why do you take him to court for not answering anything a person asks? For God speaks time and again, but a person may not notice it. In a dream, in a vision in the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber on their beds, he uncovers their ears at that time and terrifies them with warnings in order to turn a person from his actions and suppress his pride. God spares his soul from the pit and life from crossing the river of death. A person may be disciplined on his bed with pain and constant distress in his bones so that he detests bread and his soul despises his favourite food. His flesh wastes away to nothing and his unseen bones stick out. He draws near the pit and his life to the executioners. If there is an angel on the side, one mediator out of a thousand, to tell a person what is right for him and to be gracious to him and say, Spare him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Then his flesh will be healthier than in his youth and he will return to the days of his youthful vigour. He will pray to God and God will delight in him. That man will behold his face with a shout of joy and God will restore his righteousness to him. He will look at men and say, I have sinned and perverted what was right, yet I did not know and get what I deserved. He redeemed my soul from going down to the pit and I will continue to see the light. God certainly does all these things two or three times to a man in order to turn him back from the pit so that he may shine with the light of life. Pay attention, Job, and listen to me. Be quiet and I will speak. But if you have something to say, answer me. Speak, for I would like to justify you. If not, then listen to me. Be quiet, and I will teach you wisdom. Then Elihu continued, saying, Hear my words, you wise men, and listen to me, you knowledgeable ones. Doesn't the ear test words as a palate tastes food? Let us judge for ourselves what is right. Let us decide together what is good. For Job has declared, I am righteous, yet God has deprived me of justice. Would I lie about my case? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job? He drinks derision like water. He keeps company with evildoers and walks with wicked men. For he has said, a man gains nothing when he becomes God's friend. Therefore listen to me, you men of understanding. It is impossible for God to do wrong and for the Almighty to act unjustly. For he repays a person according to his deeds and he brings his ways on him. Indeed, it is true that God does not act wickedly and the Almighty does not pervert justice. Who gave him authority over the earth? Who put him in charge of the entire world? If he put his mind to it and withdrew the spirit and breath he gave, every living thing would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to what I have to say. Could one who hates justice govern the world? Will you condemn the mighty righteous one who says to a king, worthless man, and to nobles, wicked man? God is not partial to princes, and does not favour the rich over the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. They die suddenly in the middle of the night, people shudder and then pass away. Even the mighty are removed without effort. For his eyes watch over a man's ways, and he observes all his steps. There is no darkness, no deep darkness, where evildoers can hide themselves. 
God does not need to examine a person further, that one should approach him in court. He shatters the mighty with the out in investigation and sets others in their place. Therefore he recognises their deeds and overthrows them by night, and they are crushed. In full view of the public he strikes them for their wickedness, because they turned aside from following him and did not understand any of his ways, but caused the poor to cry out to him, and he heard the outcry of the afflicted. But when God is silent, who can declare him guilty? When he hides his face, who can see him? Yet he watches over both individuals and nations, so that godless men should not rule or ensnare the people. Suppose someone says to God, I have endured my punishment. I will no longer act wickedly. Teach me what I cannot see. If I have done wrong, I won't do it again. Should God repay you on your terms while you have rejected his? You must choose, not I. So declare what you know. Reasonable men will say to me, along with the wise men who hear me, Job speaks without knowledge, his words are without insight. If only Job were tested to the limit because his answers are like those of wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sin. He scornfully claps in our presence while multiplying his words against God. Then Elihu continued saying, Do you think it is just when you say, I am righteous before God? For you ask, What does it profit you, and what benefit comes to me if I do not sin? I will answer you and your friends with you. Look at the heavens and see. Gaze at the clouds high above you. If you sin, how does it affect God? If you multiply your transgressions, what does it do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a person like yourself and your righteousness another human being. People cry out because of fear or oppression. They shout for help from the arm of the Almighty. But no one asks, where is God my maker, who provides us with songs in the night, who gives us more understanding than the animals of the earth and makes us wider than, wiser than the birds of the sky? There they cry out, but he does not answer, because of the pride of evil men. Indeed, God does not listen to empty cries, and the Almighty does not take note of it. How much less when you complain that you do not see him, that your case is before him and you are waiting for him. But now, because God's anger does not punish, and he does not pay attention to transgression, Job opens his mouth in vain and multiplies words without knowledge. Then Elihu continued saying, Be patient with me a little longer and I will inform you, for there is still more to be said on God's behalf. I will get my knowledge from afar and ascribe righteousness to my maker, for my arguments are without flaw. One who has perfect knowledge is with you. Yes, God is mighty, but he despises no one. He understands all things. He does not keep the wicked alive, but he gives justice to the afflicted. He does not remove his gaze from the righteous, but he seats them forever with enthroned kings, and they are exalted. If people are bound with chains and trapped by the cords of affliction, God tells them what they have done and how arrogantly they have transgressed. He opens their ears to correction and insists they repent from iniquity. If they serve him obediently, they will end their days in prosperity and their years in happiness. But if they do not obey, they will cross the river of death and die without knowledge. Those who have a godless heart harbour anger. Even when God binds them, they do not cry for help. They die in their youth, their life ends among male cult prostitutes. 
God rescues the afflicted by afflicting them. He instructs them by means of their torment. Indeed, he lured you from the jaws of distress to a spacious and unconfined place. Your table was spread with choice food, yet now you are obsessed with the judgment due the wicked. Judgment and justice have seized you. Be careful that no one lures you with riches. Do not let a large ransom lead you astray. Can your wealth or all your physical exertion keep you from distress? Do not long for the night when nations will disappear from their places. Be careful that you do not turn to iniquity, for that is why you have been tested by affliction. Look, God shows himself exhausted by his power, exalted by his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has appointed his way for him and who has declared you have done wrong? Remember that you should praise his work, which people have sung about. All mankind has seen it. People have looked at it from a distance. Look, God is exalted beyond our knowledge. The number of his years cannot be counted, for he makes water drops evaporate. They distill the rain into its mist, which the clouds pour out and shower abundantly on mankind. Can anyone understand how the clouds spread out or how the thunder rolls from God's pavilion? Look, he spreads his lightning around him and covers the depths of the sea, for he judges the nations with these. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with lightning and commands it to hit its mark. The thunder declares his presence, the cattle also the approaching storm. The end of day 10. Day 11, Job 37 verse 1 to 42 verse 17. Elihu observes the power of God. My heart pounds at this and leaps from my chest. Just listen to his thunderous voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He lets it loose beneath the entire sky, his lightning to the ends of the earth. Then there comes a roaring sound. God thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain the lightning when his rumbling voice is heard. God thunders marvellously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For he says to the snow, fall to the earth. And the torrential rains, his mighty torrential rains, serve as his signature to all mankind, so that all men may know his work. The wild animals enter their lairs and stay in their dens. The windstorm comes from its chamber and the cold from the driving north winds. Ice is formed by the breath of God and water expanses are frozen. He saturates clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. They swirl about, turning round and round at his direction, accomplishing everything he commands them over the surface of the inhabited world. He causes this to happen for punishment, for his land, or for his faithful love. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God directs his clouds or makes their lightning flash? Do you understand how the clouds float, those wonderful works of him who has perfect knowledge? You whose clothes get hot when the south wind brings calm to the land. Can you help God spread out the skies as hard as a cast metal mirror? Teach us what we should say to him. We cannot prepare our case because of our darkness. Should he be told what I want to speak? Can a man speak when he is confused? Now men cannot even look at the sun when it is in the skies. After a wind has swept through and cleared them away. Yet out of the north he comes, shrouded in a golden glow. Awesome majesty surrounds him. The Almighty, we cannot reach him. He is exalted in power. 
In his justice and righteousness he will not oppress. Therefore men fear him. He does not look favorably on any who are wise in heart. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixes its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its blanket? When I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place? When I declared, you may come this far but no farther, your proud waves stop here? Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place, so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. Its hills stand out like the folds of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked and the arm raised and violence is broken. Have you travelled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the oceans? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of death's shadow? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the road to the home of light? Do you know where darkness lives so you can lead it back to its border? Are you familiar with the paths to its home? Don't you know? You were already born. You have lived so long. Have you entered the place where the snow is stored or have seen the storehouses of hail which I hold in reserve for times of trouble, for the day of warfare and battle? What road leads to the place where light is dispersed? Where is the source of the east wind that spreads across the earth? Who cuts a channel for the flooding rain or clears the way for lightning to bring rain on an uninhabited land, on a desert with no human life, to satisfy the parched wasteland and cause the grass to sprout? Does the rain have a father? Who fathered the drops of dew? Whose womb did the ice come from? Who gave birth to the frost of heaven when water becomes as hard as stone and the surface of the watery depths is frozen? Can you fasten the chains of the Pelades or loosen the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the constellations in their season and lead the bear and her cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Do you report to you, here we are? Who put wisdom in the heart or gave the mind understanding? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Or who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the dust hardens like cast metal and the clods of dirt stick together? Can you hunt prey for a lioness or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait within their lairs? Who provides the raven's food when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when mountain goats give birth? Have you watched the deer in labour? Can you count the months they are pregnant so that you know the time they will give birth? They crouch down to give birth to their young and they deliver their newborn. Their offspring are healthy and grow up in the open field. They leave and do not return. Who set the wild donkey free? Who released the swift donkey from its harness? I made the wilderness its home and the salty wasteland its dwelling. 
It scoffs at the noise of the village and never hears the shouts of a driver. It roams the mountains for its pasture land, searching for anything green. Where will the wild ox be willing to serve you? Would it spend the night by your feeding trough? Could you hold the wild ox by its harness to the furrow? Will it plough the valleys behind you? Can you depend on it because of its strength? Would you leave it to do your hard work? Can you trust the wild ox and harvest your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, but are her feathers and plumage like the storks? She abandons her eggs in the ground and lets them be warmed in the sand. She forget that a foot may crush them or that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not her own, with no fear that her labour may have been in vain. For God has deprived her of wisdom. He has not endowed her with understanding. When she proudly spreads her wings, she laughs at the horse and its rider. Do you give strength to the horse? Do you adorn his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His proud snorting fills one with terror. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He charges into battle. He laughs at fear since he is afraid of nothing. He does not run from the sword. A quiver rattles at his side along with a flashing spear and a lance. But he charges ahead with trembling rage. He cannot stand still at the trumpet's sound. When the trumpets blast, he snorts defiantly. He smells the battle from a distance. He hears the officer's shouts and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your understanding and spread its wings to the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and make its nest on high? It lives in a cliff where it spends the night. Its stronghold is on a rocky crag. From there it searches for prey. Its eyes penetrate the distance. Its brood gulps down blood and wherever corpses lie, it is there. The Lord answered Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who argues with God give an answer. Then Job answered the Lord, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? I place my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not reply twice, but now I can add nothing. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Would you really challenge my justice? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and splendour and clothe yourself with honour and glory. Unleash your raging anger. Look on every proud person and humiliate him. Look on every proud person and humble him. Trample the wicked where they stand. Hide them together in the dust. Imprison them in the grave. Then I will confess to you that your own right hand can deliver you. Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. Look at the strength of his loins and the power and the muscles of his belly. He stiffens his tail like a cedar tree. The tendons of his thighs are wovely firmly together. His bones are bronze tubes, his limbs are like iron rods. He is the foremost of God's works, only his maker can draw the sword against him. The hills yield food for him while all sorts of wild animals play there. He lies under the lotus plants, hiding in the protection of marshy reeds. Lotus plants cover him with their shade, the willows by the brook surround him. Though the river rages, Behemoth is unafraid. He remains confident, even if the Jordan surges up to his mouth. Can anyone capture him while he looks on or pierce his nose with snares? Can you pull in Leviathan with a hook or tie his tongue down with a rope? Can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he beg you for mercy or speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you so that you can take him as a slave forever? 
can you play him like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain for him or divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his hide with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay a hand on him. You will remember the battle and never repeat it. Any hope of capturing him proves false. Does a person not collapse at the very sight of him? No one is ferocious enough to rouse Leviathan. Who then can stand against me? Who confronted me that I should repay him? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I cannot be silent about his limbs, his power and his graceful proportions. Who can strip off his outer covering? Who can penetrate his double layer of armour? Who can open his jaws surrounded by those terrifying teeth? His pride is in his row of scales. They closely sealed together. One scale is so close to another that no air can pass between them. They are joined to one another so closely connected they cannot be separated. His snorting flashes with light while his eyes are like rays of dawn. Flaming torches shoot from his mouth, fiery sparks fly out. Smoke billows from his nostrils as from a boiling pot or burning reeds. His breath sets coals ablaze and flames pour out of his mouth. Strength resides in his neck and dismay dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together, solid as metal and immovable. His heart is as hard as a rock and hard as a lower millstone. When Leviathan rises, the mighty are terrified. They withdraw because of his thrashing. The sword that reaches him will have no effect, nor will a spear, dart or arrow. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. No arrows can make him flee. Sling stones become like stubble to him. A club is regarded as stubble and he laughs at the whirring of a javelin. His undersigns are jagged postures, shredding the mud like a threshing sledge. He makes the deep seas like a cauldron. He makes the seas like an ointment jar. He leaves a shining wake behind him. No one would think the deep had white hair. He has no equal on earth, a creature devoid of fear. He surveys everything that is haughty. He is king over all the proud beasts. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I, I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I had heard rumours about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I take back my words and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Then Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namanite went and did as the Lord had told him and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his prosperity and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers, sisters and former acquaintances came to his house and dined with him in his house. They offered him sympathy and comfort concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a kutash and a gold earring. So the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the earlier. He owned 14,000 sheep 
6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named his first daughter Jemima, his second Kezia, and his third Kerohapupach. No woman as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all the land, and their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died old and full of days. The end of day 11. Bible in the year, day 12, starting at Genesis eleven thirty-one. 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. Then the Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And continuing through Genesis chapter 12, right up to Genesis 17, verse 27. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people he had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. At that time the Canaanites were in the land, but the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land to your offspring. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and worshipped him. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me but let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, so the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well because of her, and Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with severe plagues because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her as my wife? Now here's your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Then Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he, his wife, and all that he had and lot with him. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had formerly been, to the site where he had built the altar, and Abram worshipped the Lord there. 
Now Lot, who was travelling with Abraham, also had flocks, herds and tents. But the land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together. For they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. And there was quarrelling between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land. Then Abraham said to Lot, Please, let's not have quarrelling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, since we are relatives. Isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Lot looked out and saw that the entire Jordan Valley, as far as Zoar, was well watered everywhere like a large garden in the land of Egypt. This was before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose the entire Jordan Valley for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward and they separated from each other. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities of the valley and set up his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning greatly against the Lord. After Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abraham, Look from the place where you are. Look north and south, east and west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk from one end of the land to the other, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and went to live beside the oaks at Mamre of Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. The end of day 12. Day 13, from Genesis 14, verse 1 to seventeen twenty-seven. In those days, Amaphrel, king of Shinar, Ario, king of Elasar, Shedrlamor, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goan, waged war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, and Shemaber, king of Zoboam, as well as the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All of these came as allies to the valley of Siddim, that is the Dead Sea. They were subject to Shed or Lamor for twelve years, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Sherod the Lamar and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephim in Ashtarothim, Karim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shavak Kirithiam, and the Horites in the mountains of Seir, as far as El Paran by the wilderness. They came back to invade in Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they defeated all the territory of the Amakalites as well as the Amorites who lived in Hazazon Tamar. Some of these pronunciations will be awful. Forgive me. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went up and lined up for battle in the valley of Sidim against Sheba Malamar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elasar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim contained many asphalt pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, but the rest fled to the mountains. The four kings took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their food, and went on. They also took Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions, for he was living in Sodom, and they went on. One of the survivors came and told Abraham the Hebrew, who was at the oaks belonging to Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol and the brother of Aner. They were bound by a treaty with Abraham. When Abraham heard that his relative had been taken prisoner, 
He assembled his 318 trained men born in his household and they went in pursuit as far as Dan and he and his servants deployed against them by night, attacked them and pursued them as far as Hoba to the north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods and also his relative Lot and his goods as well as the woman and the other people. After Abraham returned from defeating Shedrullamar and the kings who were there with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people, but take the possessions for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand in an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or sandal strap or anything that belongs to you, so that you can never say, I made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the servants have eaten, but as for the share of the men who came with me, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre, they can take their share. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed him and said, Abraham is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and give praise to God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abraham said, Lord God, what can you give me, since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abraham continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, who one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? He said to him, Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, split them down the middle, and laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut up the birds. Birds of prey came down in the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and suddenly a terror and great darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know this for certain. Your offspring will be strangers in a land that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterwards they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your father in peace, and be buried at a ripe old age. In the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites and Jebusites. Abraham's wife Sarai had not borne him children, she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abraham, 
Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps I can have children by her. And Abram agreed to do what Sarah said. So Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. When she realised that she was pregnant, she looked down on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and ever since she saw that she was pregnant, she has looked down on me. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, Here, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, You must go back to your mistress and submit to her mistreatment. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, You have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild ass. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live at odds with all his brothers. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, the God who sees. For she said, Have I really seen here the one who sees me? This is why she named the spring a well of the living one who sees me. It is located between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son Hagar had. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. And he fathered Shelah, Arpashad, lived 403 years, and fathered other sons and daughters. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am the Lord God Almighty. Live in my presence and be devout. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell to the ground, and God spoke with him. As for me, my covenant is with you, and you will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful, and you will make nations and kings come from you. I will keep my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your offspring after you, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan as an eternal possession, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, As for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant which you are to keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every one of your meals must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you at eight, eight days old is to be circumcised. This includes a slave born in your house and one purchased with money from any foreigner. The one who is not your offspring, a slave born in your house as well as one purchased with money, must be circumcised. 
My covenant will be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell to the ground, laughed and thought in his heart, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a ninety-nine-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael could live in your presence. But God said, No. Your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father twelve tribal leaders and I will make him into a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking with him, God withdrew from Abraham. Then Abraham took his son Ishmael and all the slaves born in his house or purchased with his money, every male among the members of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on that very day, just as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was thirteen years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. On that same day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his household, both slaves born in his house and those purchased with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. The end of day three, and we limp away in pain. Day 14, Genesis 18, 1 to 19, 29, including a bit of 21 to 18, because it's chronological at the start of day 15, we're doubling back into Genesis 19, so it's going right through to 20, verse 18. But starting at Genesis 18, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting in the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed to the ground. Then he said, My Lord, if I have found favour in your sight, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. This is why you have passed your servant's way. Later you can continue on. Yes, they replied, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Quick, knead three measures of fine flour and make bread. Meanwhile, Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender choice calf. He gave it to a young man who hurried to prepare it. Then Abraham took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set them before the men. He served them as they ate under the tree. Where is your wife Sarah? they asked him. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself. After I have become shriveled up and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? 
At the appointed time I will come back to you, and in about a year she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you did laugh. The men got up from there and looked out over Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to see them off. Then the Lord said, Should I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham is about to become a great nation and powerful, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and the house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. The men turned from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham stepped forward and said, Will you really sweep away all the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of the fifty righteous people who are in it? You could not possibly do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike? You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of all the earth do what is just? The Lord said, If at Sodom I find fifty righteous people in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham answered, Since I have ventured to speak to the Lord, even though I am dust and ashes, suppose the fifty righteous lack five. Would you destroy the whole city for lack of five? He replied, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Then he spoke to him again, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, I will not do it on account of forty. Then he said, Let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak further. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Then he said, Since I have ventured to speak to the Lord, suppose twenty are found there. He replied, I will not destroy it on account of twenty. Then he said, Let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak one more time. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, I will not destroy it on account of ten. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed, and Abraham returned to his place. The two angels entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at Sodom's gate. When Lot saw them, he got up to meet them. He bowed with his face to the ground and said, My lords, turn aside to your servant's house, wash your feet and spend the night. Then you can get up early and go on your way. No, they said, we would rather spend the night in the square. But he urged them so strongly that he, he, they followed him and went him to his house. He prepared a feast and baked unleavened bread for them and they ate. Before they went to bed, men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population surrounded the house. They called out to Lot and said, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so we can have sex with them. Lot went out to them at the entrance and shut the door behind him. He said, Don't do this evil, my brothers. Look, I have got two daughters who haven't had sexual relations with a man. I'll bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want to them. However, don't do anything to these men because they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of the way, they said, adding this one came here as a foreigner, but he's acting like a judge. Now we'll do more harm to you than to them. They put pressure on Lot and came up to break down the door. But the angels reached out, brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the door of the house, both young and old, with a blinding light, so they were unable to find the door. 
Then the angel said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, a son-in-law, your sons and daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people is great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were going to marry his daughters. Get up, he said, get up out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy this city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. At the crack of dawn, the angels urged Lot on, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of this city. But he hesitated, so because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and they brought him out and left him outside the city. As soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, Run for your lives, don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, Lord, please, your servant has indeed found favour in your sight, and who you have shown me great kindness by saving my life. But I can't run to the mountains, the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, this town is close enough for me to run to. It is a small place. Please let me go there. It is only a small place, isn't it, so that I can survive? And he said to them, All right, I'll grant your request about this matter too, and will not overthrow the town you mentioned. Hurry up, run there, for I cannot do anything until you get there. Therefore the name of the city is Zoar. The sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zoar. Then the Lord rained burning sulphur in Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the sky. He overthrew these cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and whatever grew on the ground. But his wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. Early in the morning Abraham went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land of the plain, and he saw that smoke was going up from the land like the smoke of a furnace. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. From there Abraham travelled to the region of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. While he lived in Gerar, Abraham said about his wife Sarah, She is my sister. So Abimelech king of Gerar and Sarah brought, had Sarah brought to him. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, You are about to die because of the woman you have taken, for she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, would you destroy a nation even though it is innocent? Didn't he himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother? I did this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience. I have also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore I have not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die, you and all who are yours. Early in the morning Abimelech got up, called all his servants together, and personally told them all these things, and the men were terrified. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said to him, What have you done to us? How did I sin against you that you have brought such enormous guilt in me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. Abimelech also said to Abraham, What did you intend when you did this thing? Abraham replied, I thought there is absolutely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, Show your loyalty to me wherever we go and say about me, He is my brother. 
Then Abimelech took sheep and cattle and male and female slaves, gave them to Abraham and returned his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, Look, my land is before you. Settle wherever you want. And to Sarah he said, Look, I am giving your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a verification of your honour to all who are with you. You are fully vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so that they could bear children. For the Lord had completely closed all the wombs in Abimelech's household on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And there we are, day 14.